this week on Dig Me Out. The winner of our 2013, December 2013 iTunes feedback is Tim and Jay review Nuclear Sounds by Ash. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. Uh, I forgot what I say here. Oh yeah, I'm your host Tim Manici, and joining me once again, my co-host Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, I actually did blank there for a minute on what I was supposed to do, but then it came rushing back. Isn't that funny? Like, <clears throat> you've said that how many times now? 150 something? 160. This is episode 160 of our fourth season. And uh, yeah, I actually forgot it after doing it 159 times in a row. It was like today I was out um, tying some boxes, like packing boxes and trying to bundle them up. And I had twine and I'm tie the first one up and I'm good to go. And I get to the second one and I couldn't remember how to tie a knot. <laughs> like I couldn't figure out how I did it on the first one to make it work. And I couldn't. And all of a sudden I'm just sitting there like, am I like having a stroke or something? <laughs> Like, how do you forget how to tie a knot? I think that's but called middle age, Jay, which we were I both just to- approaching totally, this year. I just totally blanked, so I know where you're coming yeah. from. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, it's a scary thing when that starts happening. But uh, you know what's not scary, Jay, is uh, us reviewing an album from the '90s, which we do every week. And uh, this season, we started out picking out some of our, I guess you'd say. Uh, you know, bands that we had been talking about, familiar with, but hadn't reviewed them yet. Bands like uh, The Helicopters and Catherine Wheel and uh, some other artists. I brought in a band to the table that I'm actually not familiar with. This was this was a band that I always heard their name. They were mentioned with a lot of other artists as being similar. But uh, I just never got into them and uh, didn't know a lot of people that were into them. Uh, at least here in the United States. And I'm speaking of Ash. The uh, UK, uh, I guess, we're lumped in with Britpop, but we'll get into that later, whether or not they're actually Britpop. But uh, uh, they were from actually Northern Ireland, and I, they were one of those bands like constantly mentioned in like the NME, Melody Maker, uh, lumped in with, you know, Supergrass and um, a bunch of other bands from the sort of mid to late '90s. They're following uh, the Oasis and Blur Britpop explosion, and with Pulp and. Uh, Suede and those sorts of bands, and uh, they sort of were with the second wave, I guess you'd say. Jay, your familiarity with Ash? Uh, yeah, I, I think I was like you. I heard the name a lot. For some reason, the album covers are very familiar to me. Um, so I saw the the album covers a lot. Uh, I think I had. Let's see here. The record I had for some reason was Free All Angels. Okay. Uh, that's the one that's most familiar to me. Um. I didn't listen to it a ton, but um, for some reason I remember that one, and I believe I had that record. And that was later. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a that's a 2001 record, but correct. Yeah, they were sort of always there. I, I generally knew what they sounded like, but uh, that's about it. So let's get into the history of Ash. History of the band. Ash formed in Downpatrick, Northern Ireland, in 1992 by vocalist and guitarist Tim Wheeler bassist Mark Hamilton, and drummer Rick McMurray. They released the mini-album Trailer in 1994 and then followed up with their first full-length album, 1977, 
1996. They recruited Charlotte Hatherley as guitarist and vocalist and released their second full-length album, New Clear Sounds, in 1998, which is the album that we are reviewing the uh, difficult sophomore follow-up album. So, New Clear Sounds was both a critical and commercial disappointment for the band, so much so that they almost went into bankruptcy as a band. Huh. Um, they uh, reform or they they uh, not reform, but they um, regrouped and released the album, which you mentioned, "Free All Angels" in two thousand one, which had a number of successful singles in the UK. Their fourth record, "Meltdown," was released in two thousand four, and that was the band's final record with uh, Charlotte Hatherley. They went back to being a three piece uh, and released their fifth studio album, "Twilight of the Innocence," in two thousand seven. So at that point. They said no more albums, and from uh, in 2009, they started releasing singles only, and they released uh, 26 singles, one new single every two weeks. They call it the A to Z series, but there is a new album in the works, Jay, and supposedly that will be out this year, so they went back on their no more albums, <laughs> uh, you know, which I've, I've heard other bands do that too. The Cult did that. Yeah, yeah. I think we there. talked about that. I think the the in theory it sounds great until you try to break down the financials of doing that, and it just doesn't make any sense. Like right. you just can't. There's no business right now. There's no uh, no business case to be made for for doing that. No, it's just unfortunately. A, no, uh, it's it's an interesting concept, and I like. I mean, it worked in the. I'm sure it worked fine in the 50s and 60s when there was you know radio. Was, there was only one channel to hear music. It was the AM radio. But now that there's so many channels, you really need to. It just works better to do a record so that you can put the promotion behind it. And, right. And tour behind it. You can go do a big album or a big tour. And I did want to mention that, you know, corresponding with uh, this podcast, Ash is actually in the United States recording their album. And they're doing a, uh, not a huge tour, but a couple of weeks of touring throughout the United States. So if you are an Ash fan, now is the time to go see them because they're touring in January and February in the U.S. So we did get some feedback. We got feedback both on Facebook and in our digmeoutpodcast.com page, which you can visit to uh, you know, re- uh, request an album for us to review. Over at digmeoutpodcast.com, Stephen Frazier said, uh, Nuclear Sound is good, uh, but uh, not as good as... Or is as good as their Britpop grunge crossover uh, 1986 album 1977. So he said it fares uh, comparable to their their debut album. And then over on Facebook, we got some feedback. Gavin Reed, okay, just put in this car now. I remember Ash finally saw them twice, and I like everyone. And like everyone else, had a crush on the chick bass player. I think this is fairly late though, and I might have moved on. So I'll comment further after listening, but great choice. And they did actually listen and said, having listened to this, sounds like a band that had decided to change their sound without deciding what the sound should be. They don't even try to hide the opening uh, of the album with a Nirvana riff. If I was good enough to DJ, I feel like I could recreate this album from other albums in my collection. And yet when I got to the end of it, I played it again. So I guess I liked it. That's an interesting comment, and we'll talk about <laughs> uh, a collection of other albums that makes up this album. Dimitri Dumitri, uh, the supposed sophomore slump for Ash. It sure is forgettable, but their first album was really, really flawed to me already. To be honest, I didn't understand all the fuss about Ash back then. 
but Girl from Mars is great, especially Goldfinger is probably the most beautiful song they ever did. What a melody. Anyway, back to Nuclear. I don't remember much except for Numbskull, Well, and Projects, which I love. John Michael Foster, yep, dig, dig this record. And Eric Rubbs, such a misunderstood record. When it was originally released, many acts from across the pond make darker and heavier records during this time, i.e. Blur and Pulp. And this was a bit of a bigger step away from their past than regular Ash fans had wanted. So many great songs on here, like Folk Song, Projects, and Wild Surf, the second mention of Projects. Uh, Jay, that's a good segue into uh, the album, and the first track on the record is Projects. Uh, sounds very Nirvana-esque, uh, like they're almost, you know, ripping a Nirvana riff. Um, it does. It has a Nirvana-esque feel to it. Very uh, big, heavy, distorted guitar in the in the bleach uh, sort of uh, vein. Has a grungy feel that a lot of this record has an Americanized alternative feel to it, more so than any sort of a Britpop feel. Going back and listening to this, well, not going back, actually, I mean, discovering this for the first time, I guess, I was surprised at how Americanized this sound. was. It, did you feel the same way? Not well, not really. Now that you say it, I guess I, I'm not going to say it. there aren't American influences here or pieces and parts, but it didn't really, wasn't the first thing I thought of. This song reminded me a lot of Swerve Driver, uh, honestly. It, it wasn't just the riff. Yeah, there's a riff there that I guess you could say it's Nirvana or tons of other bands um it's a really good riff you know under underneath the, the song and it's kind of kind of got a cool like offbeat rhythm but there's this other element of a another guitar and keyboards or something i don't know what's going on there's this other secondary set of noises and chords and things accompanying the main riff that mm-hmm. make me think more of something like a swerve driver where it's like it kind of gets into a swirling, you know, almost chaotic at times, um, full-on assault of inter- intertwined riffs and bends and chirping sounds and washes of, of, of guitar. That kind of threw me for this band because um, I remember them being, you know, the sound I would hear in my head would be a little bit more cleaner, straightforward, alternative rock, pretty crisp and sharp. Mm-hmm. And this seems a lot more experimental, uh, at least for the first track. Huh? Really? I hadn't. I guess I, I thought of Swerve Driver as being a little more groove oriented, and this seems to be just sort of a bit more in like the of that like Nirvana like stomp and like everything is everything is sort of built around the guitar riff where the 
in Swerve Driver, I think a lot of it being built around like the rhythm section in the in the in the bass, especially. But that's an interesting approach towards it. Now they they make a big shift with the second track, Low Ebb, and this is where I think I think one of the biggest influences I heard on this record is or or I would say influences because I don't know if it was I know that they were into a lot of American bands mm-hmm. from reading and stuff like that. But one of the ones that I hear, especially in his vocal, is uh, Weezer, mm-hmm. and they re- this this is where it starts to sound a lot like Weezer to me, especially the second album Pinkerton, where they let things fly a little bit more. But uh, they also are pretty. They have some real delicate moments on Pinkerton, and this song sort of heads into that direction. Um, there's a nice use of a cello on this record on, or on this song not overstated it's just sort of uh mixed in there with a it's it's kind of simple it's not a it's not in the forefront it's where i kind of went okay this is this is a little bit derivative and that was uh i'm at when i got to point or track two i was like all right when is this band gonna actually start sounding like like them like a band that's got some original ideas rather than sounding like other bands that are current yeah or, or from the recent past for this when this was released i don't know did you feel that same did you feel <clears throat> well you know i think the this record is held together by for better or worse the production um so there's a lot of material in here i think at first listen first couple of listens sounds cohesive but as you i think you know as we reviewed it and break it down and you actually listen to the songwriting that's going on and not the production as much um i think that's where the derivative aspects start to come out this one yeah i thought um at least the intro part where it's sort of this big lumbering riff um that breaks down um kind of into a ballad like you said with the uh, the cello the strings kind of mixed in there and has a very chimey guitar almost sounds like a piano at times mm-hmm. um but it kind of started off for me in a dinosaur junior or even like a pavementy kind of place, and then it kind of it evolves into more of an alt rock ballad. Um, by the time you get to the you know deep into the verse and into the chorus, I don't know that it's completely derivative yet uh, for me on on, the, on track two. But uh, you can definitely hear, I guess, to your earlier point, um, it's starting to make sense to me uh, what you heard in terms of the big American influences. Which wasn't, that wasn't, uh, it seemed to be, um, there was a little bit of a movement, wasn't there? Like, wasn't, I mean, Blur um, sort of had a response to American, you know, grunge with Song 2. And um, yeah, they definitely on the, on their self-titled record. And then the follow-up 13, they definitely have like a, an Americanized, you know, approach to some of the songwriting with like, what do you mentioned with like Song 2? And we talked about Craft and Wheels, you know, Happy mm-hmm. Days. There was an element of that with them. It seemed to be that seemed to be a thing that UK bands did on their second or third record around this time. Absolutely. Now, one of the tracks that I think is, I guess, unique to the band is the third track, Jesus Says. Which, if you had told me that this was like an early Black Rebel Motorcycle Club song, <laughs> I would have believed you because this has all the elements of that band. Yeah. Of, of that like sort of uh it has like a almost a a, a new york dollsy glam rockish 
sort of 70s feel to it, but very distinctly 1990s uh, approach to the production and the and the guitar tone and everything. Um, a, a loud, a louder uh, Dandy Warhols. Yes, yes, yeah. loud Dandy Warhols. Perfect, exa- perfect uh, comparison there. To me, it's it's tracks three and four are to me the the high points of the record. Track four is Wild Surf. That sounds totally like a Weezer song. Yes. But in the same in the in the same way that Weezer was like taking like the Beach Boys and Nirvana and sort of turning them into their unique sound, that's what this song has. It has that like sunny disposition, but with a lot of energy and angst behind it. Sixties pop, right? right? I mean, and even Super Drag. You know, the the Super Drag record we just reviewed um, had a lot of the same elements in terms of the melodies and the 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 approach to songwriting. What's so funny about it is that they have this great run of Jesus Says and Wild Surf, and then follow it up with quite possibly one of the worst songs we've ever encountered on this podcast, with which is Death Trip Twenty One, in which they try to apparently write a prodigy song. I don't know what is going on with that track. Yeah, um, it is so awful. Yeah, it's uh, it's got the turntable in it, mm-hmm. right? It's not the it's not the only appearance of the turntable on this record. True. <laughs> and uh, I don't know how would you describe the drums? They're not sl- they're not slappy, but they're definitely like kind of fast and trip trippy dance oriented. Yeah, they, I mean, Although if it, you if you dance to this, you'd be like doing a total freak out. But I could kind of picture in my head somebody doing it. <laughs> it, it sounds like it, it, you know how like um, uh, you know No Gallagher appears on like a Chemical Brothers song in mm-hmm. the '90s. You know, I, I think it was Setting Sun. Like it sounds like the Prodigy and Ash like collaborated on a on a track. Yeah, like there's there's just no reason for this song to well, be on this record. It sounds so out of place. Between Wild Surf and Folk Song. Yeah, the the sequencing in this record is kind of awful, too. Um, yes. We haven't gotten into that, but, like, Low Ebb, is, I, th- I felt, was a terrible song to have second. Mm-hmm. Um, this song is maybe could have worked as, like, the last song on the record, but in the middle, it's, it's weird. I mean, I will say that, like I said before, better or worse, the, the at least the production's consistent, so this song is, like, even those dance or electronic influenced or something, they are still playing with you know the same instruments that they do on the other songs with the same sounds they do on the other songs. So it's not like all of a sudden they like use drum machines and you know what I mean keyboards. It, it, it could almost work, I think, if it was sequenced correctly and maybe just a little less of the turntable crap. 
<laughs> yeah. And I think uh, to, to, to just touch on the production again, you know, it, I know I'm the one that show that, that gets overly nerdy about this stuff, but this record's a little difficult on the ears, um, especially on headphones. It's uh, It's got a lot of cymbals. It's got a lot of like mid high mid range stuff mm-hmm. going on. That's just yeah. like it, it. It's it's not at all. It's not very pleasant and um, cranked in your headphones. Let's put it that way. It causes some fatigue on the ears. Yes, and this song is a good example of that. It's just there's just nonstop tambourine and cymbals. Just you know, the whole song is just it's a lot to take. Mm-hmm. It's why nobody wants to listen to the Prodigy anymore. <laughs> it's for the same reason. It's fatigue. Uh, and then they, you know, they follow that up with a really pretty song, uh, with folk song. Really nice use of the uh, of the guitar and vocal playing off of each other. There's a picking that sometimes matches the vocal and then sometimes plays off of it, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of ballads on this record. A lot of slow stuff. This yeah. is by far the best of all of them, and I think this was a single. I'm not sure. I'd have to double check, but uh, can, I can definitely see it being successful as a as a uh, you know a single track as it almost some of the other ones that I don't think work as well. It gets near a Travis kind of sound, mm-hmm. um, so you know both both vocally and from a melodic standpoint. Um, I really like the way that the um, guitars are orchestrated in the song there's a nice mix of electric and um, acoustic and really nice chimey lead and there's some synth sounds mixed in but they're not like so overt and gets a little fun like psychedelic towards the bridge um it's a little weird but or a little i guess there's some variety there but uh yeah i think this in terms of the slow songs in the record this is the most successful for sure I, I think why it's successful is that it's very melodic without being really hooky if that's possible like a lot of times you feel like the core the verses are sort of there simply to get to the chorus mm-hmm. and i feel like he does a really good job with the melody in the in the verses like i mentioned with that guitar interplay playing off of that and but it doesn't necessarily have a massive chorus the way a lot of some of these others other songs do track seven Numbskull suffers, I think, from the same dated ideas as Death Trip 21 does. It also has just this horribly repetitive guitar vocal riff that goes on throughout the verses. Just this like start and stop that they don't do a lot with. It just yeah. And then they they do the start and the stop, and then sometimes they'll have like a guitar picking in between, but then sometimes they have like a keyboard scratch. Yep. Or or, or a you know not keyboard scratch, but a um, a turntable scratch, awful, just a terrible idea. <laughs> just to... yeah, and and I like the sound of the riff. You know, when it comes in, you're like, oh, like, you know, it sounds big and it's all big fuzzy bass. And mm-hmm. um, I was really hoping it was going somewhere and it doesn't go anywhere. I mean, that's the song, and yeah. um, it would have been a great intro, and then you know, evolves into something else. But that didn't happen. <laughs> so it, it's kind of like um, a jam over. A really simple riff. You know, they just, you know, it's three minutes of them trying to like make something out of this riff that um, they just kind of kill it. What needed to happen was that needed to be like the intro to the song, and then what is the chorus of the song should have been the verse, 
they yeah. should have written a better chorus for the song. Yeah. Because the chorus is fine, it's nothing special, but it would have sufficed as a as a decent yeah. verse. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah, they play off the rip just a little bit to kind of create another part, which would have been great for a verse, except they use it as a chorus. And yeah. It's kind of a letdown. It's it's definitely a letdown because you think there's something awesome coming, but then it just <laughs> murder yeah. it. Yeah. Um, track eight, burnout. This back to back with Aphrodite, two of the more restrained songs. Burnout is fine. I, I was annoyed by Aphrodite. Very simplistic. It sounded like this band like tossed it off <laughs> in like five minutes. Like It sounds like a billion other sort of simple ballads that harken back to like the, the 1950s. I mean, it has, no, it has nothing distinct about it. It just sounds like something you could write on a guitar in, in like a half hour and... It seems like this album goes from like one really good song to one crap song to one good song to one crap song, and this is where I, 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 I was getting annoyed by the back half, you know, after Numbskull, and then I was like, okay, Burnout's okay, and then Aphrodite, I was like, ugh, and it just it was just like this pattern that it was emerging. Yeah, he doesn't possess a, a voice where in these slow songs you can, you know, let the verse carry on his vocal. It's just he needs a melody and. Uh, both these songs, you know, that's more difficult to do in a, in, a, in a slower tempo, in a quiet song. I think Aphrodite actually has a pretty, like when they switch to the chorus, he gets a lot more expressive and it, it takes a little turn that's kind of nice. It's just the verses are brutal. And the, I think the other thing about these two songs, you know, I think they're trying to be kind of sweet and they ended up just kind of sounding disaffected, mm-hmm. like distant and lazy, not sweet so from that standpoint they don't work for me no track 10 does work for me though uh very very much in the vein of like the stooges raw power era uh just this propulsive up-tempo heavy fuzzed out guitar rock sort of you know stuff going on and not necessarily the most complex thing but it works as a single as a as a as a you know sort of self-contained track that's buried amongst a lot of crap at the end of the record well yeah i think you could take the first um let's see one two four four songs this you know and you've got some material that goes together i think production wise you know it falls in line with the first track mm-hmm. um, well all of them like i've said but um you know those those four songs would hold together from a songwriting standpoint enough the guitars are so fuzzed out on this song it's crazy and the, there's so much reverb on the drums. It's it's kind of a cool sound, and I think they, it just it works for better some material better than others. Um, I think it works for this song. They kind of get into a space where they kind of get that '60s pop songwriting um, feel. It almost verges on Oasis. It gets close to Britpop. It's just such a different production style because the guitars are so fuzzed out. Um, it, it's it can be I can see for you know most people they wouldn't be able to, they wouldn't necessarily make that connection but from a songwriting standpoint right if you like broke down you know what they're playing there and you played it on um, a less abrasive <laughs> tones uh, I think you would hear a lot more of an oasisy kind of Britpop uh, uh, song underneath the uh, the facade of this this tune. Yeah, 
track I'm Gonna Fall is another one of the uh, quieter moments on the record. You mentioned Travis earlier. This could easily be another Travis-esque song. It feels like this record is almost like three different records. It's this bombastic, in-your-face, heavily distorted, you know, fuzzed out, stooges, almost like stoner rock heavy influenced you know, record, and then it's this very delicate and light, quiet, ballady record with like these two ridiculous turntable prodigy, whatever the hell songs, kind of mixed in there. I get why there were a lot of people who were turned off, both fans and then also reviewers, by this record because it almost needed to be released like three different EPs. To make sense because I think as a record it just doesn't make sense and you mentioned earlier about the sequencing the sequencing is awful on yeah. this record they build up momentum and then kill it immediately with uh, the only the only time when the record makes sense is when they go from three to four when they go from Jesus says to wild surf they keep the momentum going mm-hmm. but after that it's just and you know like you said from one to two you just and you go you, anybody who puts the the mellow song Second, you better write a really, really good mellow song. <laughs> yeah, it better be single worthy. Right. Um, yeah, this t- the last tune is just it sounds like them trying to write Sunday morning. Um mm-hmm. yeah. Without the without the melody. So uh, you know, this burnout Aphrodite, I I don't get I don't get uh where they're going with those tunes. Um they especially with the 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 fact that they're all lumped at the end of the record, it just, it all seems kind of, uh, kind of random. I wonder how much material they wrote for this record too, you know, and it kind of feels like maybe they only wrote 11 or 12 songs, you know, and they didn't have a lot to work with and they just kind of put in whatever they had. Cause there's definitely not a lot of thought here. It doesn't seem, or at least I don't get it. What the, what the thought is on the sequencing and the, uh, the overall direction on the songwriting. And here's the, the question I have about this record. So, at any point, was it apparent that they had brought in a whole nother guitar player and a female to sing? Because this could, this sounds like a three-piece that they just did overdubs in the studio. Like, I don't get that, her contributions. And I know that she sings more on Free All Angels and, and uh, Meltdown. And I haven't listened to those records intently enough to know whether or not the guitar playing is as if it's in the same vein as this or not. But to me, 
there doesn't seem to be a lot going on from a two guitar approach. Um, in the same way that you say, you know, we just did the Helicopters album. There's clearly a, a very distinct approach going on with that record when it comes to utilizing two guitars. Where in this album, it's almost like she's not there. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily get any big contribution from her. It's not as much as it could have been. I think part of that is mixing. I, f- I feel like this album is mixed very poorly. It's not like it's very narrow. Mm-hmm. Um, when you listen to it in headphones, like everything's kind of feels like in the middle. It's not yeah. like, which makes it difficult. Um, if you just take the first track, for example, you know, I sort of started talking about like this other, there's like another guitar there and it's doing things and there's other sounds, but the way that it's mixed, it makes it very difficult to decipher what's going on. Um, it's not separated enough. Uh, and I think it definitely sounds a more complex than you know, just quickly sampling the record before this, um, from a, like a layering standpoint of guitars. But I think the mix doesn't quite help you decipher that there is another, there's another person there and they have their own space. Um, it's kind of like the main riff. And then there's this other wash of other things going on that all just kind of blends together. (laughs) So, Oh, go ahead. It's, diff- it's difficult to tell um, that second guitar from all the other shit that they use, like the keyboard and the turntable and the cello and the yeah, whatever else. Like all of that stuff blends together. Yes. So, Jay, let's get to a rating on this record. Worthy album, better EP, decent single. Where are you at? Uh, I would be at an EP. Uh, I would love for it to be to be remixed. I think there is some cool stuff here. Um, and it, it, I could see myself being in the mood to listen to, you know, the first four tracks and probably Fortune Teller. But, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't be at an album. No, me neither. I would swap Folk Song for Low Ebb, but I would basically go with the same tracks as you. Uh, I think this is – I think there's there's too many glaring weaknesses on the on the ballads and the, and the two uh, bad attempts at uh, Prodigy – uh, songs are uh, well not two I, I, Death Trip 21 is really the Prodigy song and then Numbskull is just a, a dumb song but at you know at five songs I think that they'd be they'd have a solid EP so uh, no this was not a case where people misread this album when it came out and it didn't get positive reviews or uh, positive response from the fans because it was underappreciated I, I think this is probably a bit of a disappointing record <laughs> for anybody who hears it because the songwriting is just not there that's what it comes down to on a, on a yep. lot of these songs so is this uh, pretty typical though of this band i mean not that not this exact record but that general problem like just not knowing who they are completely on a record like because like that's how i kind of remember that record i mentioned was it was just inconsistent you know you know i'm kind of wandering um, in terms of the songwriting I, you know, I don't, I'm not familiar enough with the rest of their catalog to be able to say. I've given everything a cursory, you know, sort of listen mm-hmm. um, once through, but I don't know what, if well enough if, uh, you know, to say, yeah, that's definitely the case. I, I This band is, from just listening to their singles, has always struck me as, like, being a little bit derivative of bigger bands, like mm-hmm. Weezer, like Nirvana, like, you know... 
those sorts of artists um, and sort of, you know, to, a, a lot of bands are derivative of other bands, but they're able to put such a unique spin on it that you don't necessarily mind it. Mm. Um, you know, we mentioned Black Rebel Road, or I mentioned Black Rebel Motorcycle Club in, uh, in, in mentioning Jesus Says. Black Rebel Motorcycle Club sounds like a lot of other bands, but they're able to put a kind of a unique spin on it. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily bother me as much with them. Um, but uh, with this album and, and with this band, they their weaknesses, I think, are a bit more glaring than um, some other artists. So, Yes. There you, yes, there you go. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so if you are one of those people that think that uh, Nuclear Sounds is uh, actually a worthy album, chime in. Tell us we're wrong. Tell us that Death Trip 21 is the best song uh, that you've uh, heard in a long time. If you do, uh, we will have you committed to an insane asylum. But we'll give your opinion a, a listen anyways. Uh, you can do so by leaving us feedback over at Facebook and uh, our Dig Me Out Podcast, uh, com page, where you can always find our updates on the you know during the week and uh, request reviews for us to uh, listen to and uh, check in or check out down the road. We've already got quite a few. Uh, requests coming in and we'll be starting on those very soon lots of good stuff for us to listen to jay this year thanks to our very supportive uh fan base now i I do want to uh mention we had previously talked about you know our december contest where we said we're going to pick one person who left comments during the month of december 2013 we were going to grant them a free review do you remember that, Jay? Do you remember that uh, particular contest? Yeah. Sure. So, Jay, what I did was I flipped a coin because we had two people. I flipped a coin in the air. I caught it. And I had designated heads for one person and tails for the other person. Jay, do you want to know who our winner is? Who, who's the coin flipped over for positively? Me? No. Oh, well, I don't care. The the I'm winner kidding. of our the winner of you were not eligible, uh, by the way, uh, but I do appreciate your feedback. Um, the winner of our 2013 December 2013 iTunes feedback is Mr. Scott Russell Helgram, who uh, has has chimed in with uh, many of a uh, opinion and some suggestions in the past. He gets a free one. So, uh, Mr. Helgram, when you hear this episode, you are going to uh, be able to uh, select an album for us to review uh, free of charge. So feel, fr- feel free to email that over to us and we will uh, we'll review it. It's that simple. There you go. Easy peasy. Contest over. Uh, that's it, Jay. We're out of here. We'll be back uh, next week, probably. No, likely uh, with another episode of Dig Me Out. <laughs> Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages. Walk through this road.